I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I found in my own life I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. The basic pattern is to identify the fundamental doctrine or principle that's being taught. Find any invitations associated with and related to that doctrine or principle. And then also recognizing the promised blessings if we act in accordance with that invitation. Welcome to Words of the Prophets podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friends Burke and Ripka, and this is a podcast where we discuss the latest talks from the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How are you today, Burke? I am doing wonderfully. I had a very busy morning, and now I'm enjoying the opportunity to discuss some of the pleasing Word of God. So, Indeed. What, what does a busy morning look like for Burke? Uh, well, let's see. I slept in as late as I could, which was about a quarter to six. Uh Um, and then since I was awake, the dog was also awake. So I took her downstairs with me so she wouldn't wake up Rivka. And Uh I spent some time studying, uh, gospel because that's what I do first thing in the morning. And then right as the sun was coming up, I took Daphne for a walk. So we were gone for about an hour. And then when I got home, I ran some errands, uh, stopped by a couple of different stores that were open early, and and came home and, I don't know, got some work stuff done, and <laughs> then took Rivka on an errand to pick up some supplies for some bar stools that I'm reupholstering, and then kind of here we are. So, yeah. All right. That all sounds very pleasant. Yeah. I just I had a long, oh yeah, I did some cleaning in between there too. And I just, I, cause during the week, a lot of times I'm, I'm not home. So I'm out and about, I just, my to-do list just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Sure. And so then when I, I have a day that. home, I just start it, <laughs> start at one end and just work my way through things. So now as a fairly early fellow early riser, do you ever get disappointed that you can't sleep in later? Um, so for example, today <clears throat> I, I set my alarm for five forty, which is 40 minutes later than usual. And, uh, and I thought, well, if it goes off, I might even sleep later than that. Cause I could, if I wanted, and then I woke up at five thirty nine, and that <laughs> yeah. was it. Like, as soon as my eyes were open, I was like, nope, there's no way I'm getting back to sleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I feel guilty if I sleep in. Rivka has tried to talk me out of this over the years, and I do occasionally do better. But for some reason, I feel like morning hours matter more. So I can waste time. That's a scientific fact. Yeah, I can waste time all afternoon, and I don't feel bad about it at all. But if I'm not busy between 6 and noon, I feel like I threw the day away. So (laughs) I think it's more than a scientific fact. It's a gospel truth, Burke. I don't know. Goes to bed at midnight, don't you know? On the weekends, I strongly disagree with that. I think there is beauty in rest. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think in the scriptures we learned when we read through the creation part that really the rest of the Lord means going to the temple. That's true. Doesn't mean sleeping. No. So, well, but, except according to Elder Ukdor, oh, sleeping in church is up. the <laughs> is the healthiest of sleeps. I believe he said. Well, so see, you sleep in church, and I stay awake, <laughs> but I sleep in in the morning. 
So yeah, that's where we're catching our catching up. I don't sleep. In I always claim often. that's true. <laughs> yeah, I always claim that's why I got called as a high priest because in Iowa, I, I didn't get any callings associated with it. They just made me a high priest, and the only reason I could think of is because I fell asleep in church every Sunday. So yeah, but in residency. I don't know anyone that didn't fall asleep in church. I know. Half our ward was asleep during Elder Score. We were so sleep deprived. And then you get to church and you're feeling <laughs> the spirit and you feel peaceful and then you're waking up. <laughs> and usually you're holding a baby and you're sleeping and you're just like, yeah, please don't let me drop this baby. Yep. Uh, <laughs> oh, those were the days. Bert. <laughs> Shared experiences. <laughs> Uh, well, well, Rivka, how about you? How, how's life going for you? It's going, I'm going really well. Good. I did not follow up on any invitations with Burke, but I'll follow up with you on, um, I forget the specific wording of President Nelson's talk, but making your home a, a place of something about a home. I don't know. Help me, please. <laughs> place of something about a home. That was beautiful. I don't that know. That was so beautiful. <laughs> I don't even know what quote you're referencing right now. (laughs) It was all right. It was the one from Elder Cook where he talked about making our homes like Zion, but it was actually an Elder Nelson quote, and it was about unleashing the power of the family. I got there. I got there. Yeah, I got there. Yeah. So the the way that I've taken it this week has been to read through the family a proclamation to the world. Hmm. Um, with the intention of trying to discover what sort of uh, powers are promised as we um, as we try <laughs> our best to have our families and homes um, work toward the ideals that are talked about in that. And that's been an interesting way to look at it rather than just looking at like the definitions of things or the things to do. But, you know, there are some, there are some really kind of amazing promises and um, promises given, which I think are very, you can very easily infer powers that are given out of those promises. So, yeah. Okay. Just I love continuing it. Continuing on and in, in deepening my understanding. That's fantastic. Well, I've been continuing on with my um, efforts to make my prayers better. And I talked about Bishopric meeting prayers last week, and they were um, excellent. And so we're working on before we pray, we pause for a moment and talk about members of the ward who are in need of our prayers and why. And, um, you know, usually each of us sort of knows somebody who, or knows about somebody and somebody else knows about somebody else. And it's, uh, it, so it's been really good. I've enjoyed it. I don't think I have anything new to report for Aaliyah today on, on that front. She's just continuing to try to be the best missionary and trainer that she can be. So, <clears throat> well, with that, we'll move on to our talk today, which is Giving Holiness to the Lord by Bishop L. Todd Budge, the, the second counselor in the presiding bishopric. Let me tell you, some of the talks, this conference, they faced topics head on. They didn't shy away from the tough questions. And Bishop Budge might have asked the toughest question of all, what does the presiding bishopric do? (laughs) Um, I think many of us are bewildered by that question and have no idea what the answer is. 
other than you have three people, two of whom are counselors, but they're all called bishops. So somebody figure that out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burke, what does the presiding bishopric do? Well, you know, the first thought I had when he said presiding bishopric is I said, I thought they just mostly dealt all the church welfare stuff. And it appears I was right. That is, that yes. does appear to be their primary responsibility. You are in the 1%, I think, of people <laughs> who could have answered that. Uh, so good job. Yeah. And uh, there's a sentence here. He says, among many other things, the presiding bishopric oversees the welfare and humanitarian work of the church. Yeah. So, but I don't even think fantastic. that's the most important part of the first few paragraphs. I think the important part is it's very obvious that he said yes to a calling, having no idea what it entailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have written right next to that, ha ha, because I laughed, and then I was like, "But seriously, every calling I've ever had, right? Yeah. Like when you give a calling, and then it's like, what actually? What is that calling? What am I supposed to do? And this is why we have the handbook. But seriously, when I read that, I was like, can relate to that. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here in the beginning. Oh, I love it. Okay, well, so let me tell you, the handbook tells you that when you extend a calling, you're supposed to review with them what the calling entails, and you're supposed to talk to them about responsibilities and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, the... It's approached very casually because we're so used to getting callings where it's just like, you know, ring you up on the phone. Hey, uh, will you will you be the first counselor in the England Residency? Great. We'll sustain you next week. You forget to release the person you're replacing. And then <laughs> they find out in sacrament meeting that they're being released. The handbook is very clear on all of that. Like, no, no, no. None of those things are okay. And so every time I give a calling, I try hard. I don't think I'm very good at it. Um because I'm a big picture person. And so I don't usually get the details right. But, you know, I'll sit down and say, here's the calling we have. And before I let them say anything or, or ask questions or whatever, I say, here's your responsibilities. Here's what it entails. Um, and I'm not sure it has made any difference. I think everyone would have said yes anyways, but uh, that just speaks to the faith of the members of the church in overall. So Also, it appears maybe President Nelson didn't do that because he got done with the call and still didn't know what he was being called to do. So. Yeah. Let me share. Well, it's true. (laughs) Or he was so, he was just so flabbergasted at being on the phone with the prophet that uh, some of that got by him in the conversation. Yeah. He may not have full memory of the whole situation. Um, Bishop Kausay um, came and visited our stake a few months ago and he told the story of when he got called and his, it was 10 PM. They were in, Uh, I think they were living in Germany at the time. His wife answered the phone and uh, she sort of got, you know, a little bit of a nervous look. And she said, uh, you know, whatever his first name is, Jean or whatever it is. um, Gerald. You know, Gerald. Gerald. There you go. Thank you. I just picked a random French name and I apologize. (laughs) That was just awful. I was thinking Jean Valjean. I don't know. And um, okay. I'm, I should be fired from the podcast for the past two minutes of what I just said. But anyways, she grabbed him and she said, President Monson's on the phone. <clears throat> and, um, and then I don't remember all the details, but basically he extended the calling. And uh, he sort of looked at his wife and she nodded yes, of course, not having all the information. And then he goes on to, to say, and this is the part I do remember because I wrote it all down. He said, 
you know, why did my wife accept that calling when she didn't, you know, know what was going on and, and she didn't hear the full story. And I just sort of like whispered across the room, like, should we take this? And he said, because she had already said yes in the temple years ago. She already said yes to every calling she was ever going to receive. And I've heard a lot of people now say like, well, I'm not one of those people who says yes to everyone. And and I'm not going to guarantee that every last calling is always inspired. But I loved hearing of her faith and how her covenants made it so that she didn't, you know, they had to sell their house. They, he had to quit his job. They moved to another country. They left some of their kids behind who were older kids. And she said yes to all of that before she knew what it entailed because she said yes in the temple years ago. And what a beautiful, powerful, inspiring thought that is to me. So anyways, I, I don't know. Does, do you have any other thoughts about callings there as he opened with that story, uh, Burke? Um, No, those were kind of the two things I thought the most. Uh, that uh, Yeah, he said yes. And then a year later, knew what he had said yes to. That's great. <laughs> He's probably, we're probably all still learning what we had said yes to as we go along, right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, um, well, we haven't even talked about the fundamental doctrine, although that may be one of them um, that we just talked about. So let's let's go back, Burke, and is there an, another fundamental doctrine here that st- stood out to you that you marked? Well, I really like how he talks about the word sacrifice and brings up the etymology of the word about how historically the roots meaning sacred and holy and to make. So sacrifice being to make something holy. And he says, viewed as such, sacrifice is a process of becoming holy and coming to know God, not an event or ritualistic giving up of things for the Lord. And I love how that sounds, because I think when we hear sacrifice, we hear hard and awful and difficult he says, no, sacrifice is just you getting better. I like it. Mm, I like that. Uh, let me let me ask you, Burke. So he said specifically, um, not an event or ritualistic giving up of things of the Lord. Is sacrifice ever that? So he, he implies that it's not, but... Is it ever an event or ritualistic giving up? I'm thinking maybe of, you know, writing out a tithing check on a monthly basis or something like that. Is that ever a valid form of sacrifice? Sure. In as much as in order to become more righteous, you have to give up wickedness. I think. Okay. I, I mean, just in general, right? When you make a decision to follow God, you're making a decision to not follow other things. And in the way of the natural man, a lot of times those other things are things that may appear more desirable to you at first. All right. I love it. Uh, Let me share a um, sort of anecdote uh, that I think goes along with that, but isn't maybe exactly the same because I'm talking about something voluntary. But anyways, today after our tubing, um, I was pretty beat. I mean, it, it took more energy out of me than I thought. I got sunburned of all things in February in Wisconsin. And um, that's some serious talent right there. I know, I know. Well, you know, the skiing sunburns are a real thing, right? They are. Um, I have a red face to prove that it is a real thing, by the way. And then um, Deanna was doing a bunch of work upstairs uh, on behalf of uh, somebody else. And I, I felt a little guilty 
like, oh, I don't really want to help her. I don't really want to do the podcast. I want to just sit in bed and do whatever I want to do. And But I know that my body lies. I know that your feelings lie. I know that I knew I've experienced it so many times that when I help somebody else and with the podcast, when I talk about the gospel with my friends, I always, every single time, feel the spirit and feel better afterward. And I thought, all right, I don't want to do any of these things, but I'm going to do them anyways. And um, that time, I only spent a little time with Deanna, um, and I'm going to go back up there when we're done, but the time with her and the time with you two uh, that we have spent today has been made holy in its own way and uh, made me a better person for not giving into my natural man tendencies to just go sit and play a video game or watch YouTube or something dumb and, uh, and, and wasteful of my time. So, um, minor, small, you know, not a big deal, but, uh, an example of something that, uh, an application that, um, you know, occurred for me today. So to make that time holy, uh, well, Rivka, what else stood out to you from this talk? Well, um, just as you were saying that, and the question you asked Burke about whether an event or a ritual can ever be part of it, I think that the event, like paying your tithing or going to the temple or, you know, a ritual like a daily scripture study or prayer, that those are actions done and the intent of the heart behind it is where the sacrifice would lay. So all of those things could be done by someone who was not, who is, well, we, when we talk about it in the church, we say things like going through the motions, right? And I would suggest, you know, I mean, I would say that maybe someone who's going through the motions is doing those rituals or those acts without um, a heart given to the Lord. In, in the sense that he talks about this, like giving to the Lord rather than giving up. But those same actions can be done by someone whose heart is, you know, acting after a manner of, of true sacrifice. And so I think the sacrifice happens inside of us and the event or the ritual is, so maybe that's what he means by that. The sacrifice is not those things that the sacrifice happens in our hearts beforehand and the doing of the thing actually isn't indicative of whether a sacrifice has been made or not. So that was a thought I had about that. So if you're, if you're doing the ritual, it doesn't mean that you've experienced it being becoming holy or sacred to you just because you made the sacrifice. Sure. I mean, I think the original example of that is, is the comparison between Cain and Abel. You know, right. Both of them oh, appear to be making a sacrifice. Um, mm. But one of them was a sacrifice and the other one was not, even though the action or the ritual looked the same. Right. Yeah. So I think the sacrifice happens inside of us. And for Abel, yeah. that had happened. And for Cain, it had not. Yes. Yeah. I And I, so I think that is 100% true. Um, I think for me performing my duty that requires a sacrifice is something that maybe I, that has often led to me um, reaching that point of it becoming holy, even if it didn't start out that way. So by going through the motions, 
Um, because I knew that I should go through them, I often have experienced a change of heart by yeah. by acting by enacting the ritual. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's definitely some nuance to this, right? Our yeah. hearts are are constantly in change. That's what we're sure. doing here, right? Constantly, constantly being refined and changed. So. But I bet even the very first time you did it was at least with the intent to be obedient. Yes, which I guess does make it at least one step towards what he's describing as the ideal. And, you know, ultimately, I would love to never (laughs) want anything except good things and holy things. But, of course, that's (laughs) how the natural man works, right? Um, So Always a wrestle. Yep. Okay, I love it. Um, Burke, what else stood out to you from this talk? Well, I want to go right along with what you were just talking about, because in as much as sacrifice is great, you know, and he says here, he quotes Hosea, I desire charity and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God. And that reminded me of the scripture from first Samuel 15, um, where it says to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so what we learned from that is almost everything is better than sacrifice. If I had to drop an equation. Charity is better and <laughs> obedience is better and sacrifice and blood of lambs. They're all, they're great, but they're kind of down on, on one end there. So yeah, I just wanted to add that because oh. it was mathematical. <laughs> <laughs> but again, in both of those scriptures, because these are old Testament scriptures, he's referencing the act of yeah. sacrifice and yeah, burnt offering. Right. So yeah, yeah, I think it boils down to that same thing where he's like, it's not about the act. I mean, I want you to do the act, but it needs to be coming from somewhere so that I can give you the blessings. Yeah. Right. And I think maybe I am the way I was thinking about it is, um, you know, in the, in the ordinances of the gospel, the, the power of godliness is manifest. I'm, I'm, that's not exactly the right quote, but you know, I, I hope I caught the, the sense of it. Um, and so I think there's the spectrum of like, I'm Cain, you know, I'm going to offer up the wrong thing intentionally because Satan told me to mm-hmm. in order to pretend I'm sacrificing yeah. versus, you know, I'm going to sacrifice because I am purified and only have holy desires mm-hmm. um, and everything in between, which is mostly what we do. And sometimes going through the, the motions of a sacrifice or ritual, be it you know, the fatted calf or attending church on Sunday or whatever it might be. Um, and allowing the power of godliness to be manifest through that sacrifice to help us reach, you know, a deeper level of conversion. So, yeah. In the new Testament, when it makes the comparison of almsgiving, um, you know, the, to be seen or to, to do it in secret, I think that's another, you know, time where this concept is, is attempted the illustration of this concept is being attempted in scripture and he um elder budge does another beautiful one in it where he um he talks about what we want from it what we what we desire from doing the action um when our sacrifices on behalf of others are viewed from the perspective of giving up we may see them as a burden and become discouraged when our sacrifices are not recognized or rewarded. And I think, you know, the Cain and Abel story is an extreme example. And this may be something that we can understand 
a little better or maybe seems a little less extreme and more relevant to us is this idea of, but I did this thing and how come I'm not being recognized or rewarded, even if the thing we're we're not, we feel like we're not being recognized or rewarded by the Lord, right? Like I've done all the right things. Where are my blessings? And I think that's something that we all contend with. And Elder Budge continues, freed from the need for love, approval, or appreciation from others, our sacrifices become the purest and deepest expressions of our gratitude and love for the Savior and our fellow men. Any prideful sense of self-sacrifice gives way to feelings of gratitude, generosity, contentment, and joy. Um, and I think that's that's just so beautifully put by Elder Budge that when we can separate ourselves from the need, the, the really separate ourselves from the actual need to receive anything in compensation for what we're giving, including from the Lord, then I think what happens is the Lord gives us blessings. And he, when I read this last sentence, any prideful sense of self-sacrifice gives way to feelings of gratitude, generosity, contentment, and joy. I think those things that he lists are gifts of the spirit that we are blessed with when we make true sacrifices. So, I mean, there's no way of getting around being blessed when we are offering true sacrifices. Um, But if we go in it seeking blessings, sometimes that can get messy because the Lord may not bless us with the thing we think we want or deserve. Yeah. Another gospel paradox. Mm -hmm. If we go in seeking the blessings we, we won't receive, the ones that that the Lord has in store for us, and if we don't seek them, we will receive them. But uh, yeah. that up there with with what he says earlier here, um, when he quotes Elder Maxwell, which I've always loved this principle, and he says the submission of one's will or heart is really the only uniquely personal thing we have to place on God's altar. However, when you and I finally submit ourselves by letting our individual wills be swallowed up in God's will then we are really giving something to him. And so the really the only thing that you can give to God is your willingness to be obedient to him. You know, yeah. he, he has granted you agency and it's the one thing he wants the very most from you is to use that agency to do what he has told you to do, but he will never take that from you. Yeah, so. yeah. exactly. Well, interesting. And we didn't even talk about all the welfare efforts, really. Um, you know, the 1,500 COVID projects and all of the other stuff mentioned. Um, if you go to the bottom and you hit the tag consecration, the very first talk at the very bottom of that list that it pulls up is church welfare, some fundamentals. Um, or And then another one is the purpose of the church welfare service. So there is some good stuff out there to read up on the church welfare system. Um, I'm sure <clears throat> if people want to know more about it. And then the church released, I think, a video at the end of the year saying all the things they have done the past couple of years. So there's a lot out there. Um, so let's move to our invitations and promises. Burke, what did you find here for invitations or promises? Well, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, as we live for God and others by giving of our means, our time, and yes, even of ourselves, we are leaving the world a little greener leaving God's children a little happier and in the process becoming a little holier. I love it. Fantastic. Anything else, Rivka, for invitations and promises? I spent a crazy amount of time this week (laughs) thinking about him quoting this primary song, Give Said the Little Stream, Um, or 
the lyrics say, I'm small, I know, but wherever I go, the fields grow greener still. Although when I learned it, it was the grass grows greener, but I don't suppose that matters too much. Um, Ooh, can I can I divert you for just a second on the, that? Are you going to be a botanist? No, no, no. Um, oh, so okay. a BYU scholar, Peggy Worthen, actually wrote a paper on this. Uh-huh. And the wording has always been published as fields grow greener still, but many people have learned it as grass. Yeah, um, that's so oh. funny. Yeah, she wrote Are a paper serious? in yeah in 2000, and I think the reason is because of the alliteration of grass grows greener, and oh. so wow. or that would if you learned it from pictograms, which a lot of primary children do, uh, a picture of like a field grass. looks like grass. Um, regardless, oh, it has funny. always been fields, but I also thought he put the wrong word here. I was like, oh, when did they change it? So I found an actual article on that. Um, from yeah, 2000 Des- Deseret Language and Linguistics Society Symposium, Volume 26, Issue One. The- <laughs> wow! <laughs> the grass does not that grow greener. St- <laughs> the grass does not grow greener. Still, word replacement in "Give Said the Little Stream" by Peggy Worthen. Anyway, wow. sorry. Go ahead. That's funny. Okay, well, the grass grows greener still. And in- <laughs> thank you for that tangent. Um, and then. In- in the third verse that he quotes, it says, do as the streams and blossoms do for God and others live. And so I spent a lot of time this week thinking about what do streams and blossoms do when they give? I could probably go off on this a lot, but I'll just say I made a couple of lists, which comes as a surprise <laughs> to no one who's listening um, about what I can, what can I learn about the sacrifice and consecrated service from streams and from blossoms? And so I won't read you my list, but I will say that there are some really good lessons for us in keeping uh, our sites focused and our um, intents reasonable and to not get overwhelmed by by this prospect um, because both the flowers and the streams, they do their good where they are. And Mm. they're not, they're not trying to bloom in every field and they're not trying to water all of the fields and they're both content to be what they are doing good in their paths. So. And even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed even as a lily. Indeed. Oh, that's true. Beautiful. Um, so Rivka, um, excuse my, um, perhaps ignorance or maybe I phased out there. What, what was the invitation as part of that? Well, so (laughs) the invitation he gives is to do as the streams and blossoms do. Okay. So what does that, you know, what does that mean? There's the invitation. He doesn't, he doesn't go into that, but I don't know. Maybe my extended invitation is think about it a little. Okay. I think, um, Perhaps we just played to type there as you had a, mm-hmm. as you went off on wandering paths of pondering <laughs> and reached, reached celestial spheres of knowledge that were way beyond my earthbound feet. And I was like, <laughs> and therefore what, <laughs> what was the concrete takeaway? So it is to do as the streams and blossoms do. And that's his invitation. Your invitation is figure out what that means because it's not, it's not immediately some apparent. Pondering. It's not immediately mm-hmm. apparent, but there are some good lessons. I will tell you that that come from it. Okay. I think when we post this, uh, you know, I post on Instagram when we post a, you know, a podcast post, mm-hmm. I think we need a picture of your lists so we can put <laughs> okay. that up on Instagram. So we know what okay. streams, but maybe we should, 
post the podcast first and then give it a couple days so people can ponder without That's looking. True, so they can. And my list has some empty spots in case anyone wants to help me add to it. Okay. I love it. Well, that was enlightening. Um, <laughs> I learned a lot about language and sacrifice and streams and blossoms and all sorts of things that I did not expect. So thank you for your wonderful I- insights, Burke and Ribka. Um, the next talk we're going to discuss is Remember Thy Suffering Saints, O Our God by Anthony, Elder Anthony D. Perkins of the 70. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on social media at Words of the Prophets Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or Words of the Prophets Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks for joining us today, and until next time, keep the faith. Hola a todos, this is Hermana Ebert, and here are my talk, uh, thoughts on the talk, Giving Holiness to the Lord. This talk expressed a thought that I've had for a long time now. Um, a long, not a long time ago, I guess, but um, a couple years ago, I went to Nauvoo and I went to Carthage Jail. And that's where Joseph Smith and his brother were martyred. And I just remember such an overwhelming spirit there. And I remember thinking, why is a spirit so strong in a place where such terrible things happened? And the conclusion I came to, the conclusion the Spirit led me to, to come to, was that sacrifice is sacred. And that's exactly what this talk is saying. Um, I like how he breaks down the meaning of the word, um, like the Latin word. And he says, Thus, anciently, sacrifice meant literally to make something or someone holy. Viewed as such, sacrifice is a process of becoming holy and coming to know God, not an event or real ritualistic giving up of things for the Lord. And I love this. It makes me, um, it reminds me that, like, we are supposed to offer ourselves and our, our, you know, broken hearts, contrite spirits to the Lord because that's what he wants more than whatever physical thing we can, we can offer, you know, like in Law of Moses, when they would offer grain or animals or anything else, he wants more than that. He wants ourselves. Um, and he says... Ultimately, the Lord wants our hearts. He wants us to become new creatures in Christ because God made this plan for us to grow. So if we don't, then... Sorry, I just got um, off track. But um, I love that we can we can become new things because that's part of the plan. That's what God wants us here to do. That's why that's the purpose of this life is to be able to grow. Um, and so that's what we're doing when we offer ourselves up to God and to Christ is we're letting them help us grow and therefore fulfill the plan. Um, I also like how he distinguishes between giving up and giving to. And he says, any prideful sense of self-sacrifice gives way to feelings of gratitude, generosity, contentment, and joy. And that was kind of a, a call out, I think, for me, because when you give up something, um, maybe the more traditional word, like view of the word sacrifice, it, it almost feels prideful. Like, look at what I'm giving up in order to do this thing. But when you give to, it's, it's freely given. It's, um, you're not giving up something to gain something. You're just giving, just giving it away. Um, and I think that has, that's, <laughs> that's, has the potential to help us grow is by giving to instead of giving up. So yeah, I really like this talk. I thought it was really good. 
And until next time, guarde la fe. If we teach by the Spirit, and you listen by the Spirit, some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you.